So we are talking about who it is that we are by God's precious and particular and intended design. And one of the, one of the things we've noticed all the way along through this study is that identity is not something that we determine. I don't get to choose who it is that I am. I, I don't have a say in why I am, what I am, and why I am here. That was all given by my creator who made me. And so identity is not something we determine. It's something that we are given. And our identity stands on the foundation of truth, not truth how I see it, not what I feel, not what my culture says it is, truth as God has spoken it to be. God has said from the very beginning what it is I am and who it is I am. And if I'm going to truly understand who I am, why I am here, my purpose and my identity, it starts on that solid rock and that foundation. And we've spent a great deal of time around this verse, that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them different, distinct, deliberately by God's design, male and female, different in their biology, different in their purpose, different in God's intended role and function here on earth. We are made the way we are by God's plan. I want just one more element to add to this today, and maybe to make it a more, a more positive and practical way of looking at identity to wrap it all up. Follow the train of thought with me. Every single purpose, whether every single person, whether they believe in God or not, are made in his image. Every single person. This is not distinct to Christians. Every person who enters into this world has the thumbprint, if you will, the fingerprints of God on their existence. And so everyone is made in the image of God. But those who choose to hear the gospel and respond to that gospel, Paul says, are remade or recreated in the image of Christ. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so it's not just that we are made initially in God's image. Those of us who have drifted from that image, we'll get there in a couple minutes. Those who have then heard that gospel and obeyed to that gospel are recreated back to the way God intended us to be, back to the image of Christ. But the thing is, it's not that those who obey the gospel are just forgiven, given a, a free pass and sent on their way. Free agents now forgiven to, to uh, be cast adrift into, into life under the sun. John says that we are, we who have obeyed the gospel, we who have heard that good call, we who have submitted to Christ, adopted into his family and are his children. See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God, notice, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know, know him. And so in terms of identity, he says, it's not just that you're Jordan shouts, forgiven of your sins. No, now you are a child of God, adopted and chosen. You are to be a child of the Father. Now, every loving child who loves their parents and a parent who loves their child, there's something reciprocal that takes place, and that is children who belong in that loving environment tend to imitate their parents. They tend to become just like them and look more like them and mirror themselves off of them. We see this a lot with younger children trying to mirror themselves after their parents. But I'll tell you one of my favorite examples of this from two years ago was when we had Jess here. And it was, it was precious to see unintended how much Ricky Jay looked and mirrored and talked and walked just like his dad because he loves his father 
because the Father loves his Son. Here in Ephesians 5, Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 1, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. What's he saying? You are children of God, and children who love their father imitate their father. Specific to our study today, we're going to go, is that right in the heart of Ephesians 5, he talks about us being children, but then he attaches it to something particular about our father that we are to imitate. And so in Ephesians 5, he says in verse 7, do not be partakers with them, those sons of disobedience, for, he says in verse 8, you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Do you notice that? He says you are children of God, and so you are to imitate your father. Your father is light, and so you are to be children of light, to live this way. Just, just go there with me for a little bit. I, I think within here, the reason I wanted to go this direction is that while our identity is powerful in understanding who we are, this particular vein of understanding our identity shows us our responsibility attached to our identity. God is light. That's spoken all through Scripture. John 1 and verse 5 says that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. That is who he is. It is in his very nature. Our God is light. Not a hint, not a thought of darkness exists in our God. In fact, James says that not only is God light, he is the very source of light, or like how some versions will say, the father of lights, the originator of lights. Because remember, in the very beginning, the first thing that God speaks is let there be light. But notice, because we've done this already in our study this month, God says, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that the light was good. What did he do? And God separated the light from the darkness. Light is not darkness. They are two very different, distinct entities, light and darkness. That becomes really important when we start talking about Ephesians 5 and how light and darkness are used symbolically to talk about right and wrong or good and evil. But even in the very beginning, God made it clear there's a difference between that which is light, how we define what light is, and that which is darkness. The Psalms describe God as one who is clothed or wrapped in light. In fact, what's fascinating, if you take the time to trace it, there's a phrase used similarly throughout the Psalms about God's face being light. In fact, you remember the scene when Moses spoke to God, whatever God revealed about himself to Moses, and Moses' face shone so brightly they had to put a veil on it because with the presence of God is such illuminating light. Keep your marker here in Ephesians 5. I want you to notice something in the Gospel of John chapter 1. Just a brief walk. The Gospel of John highlights Jesus as a light over and over and over again. John chapter 1 is where we're starting in John 1. John 1, beginning in verse 6, it says, There came a man sent from God whose name was John. That's John the baptizer. He, was, he came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He came to testify about the light which came to enlighten, the light which came to spread, to illuminate those in this world. 
in John chapter 8. If you go over to John chapter 8, one of the identifying markers Jesus gives of himself, revealing his true identity in John chapter 8 and verse 12, Jesus says, he spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I am the light and those who are with me are going to be light. If you follow me, you're going to be a person of light, a child of light. Go over to John chapter 12. Notice this again. There's a relationship of that. Those who want to follow Jesus, those who want to follow the light, become light. And so in John chapter 12 and verse 36. John 12 and verse 36, he says, While you have the light, believe in the light, so that you may become sons of light. He also says in verse 46 of this context, I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes me will not remain in darkness. Follow the light that you may become light. In fact, you remember the very end, the very end of God's revelation and that beautiful picture of heaven and that, that neat phrase that's used in Revelation 22 and verse 5, that night will be no more. There will be no need of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light. There will be no dads in heaven saying, turn off the light, who left them on? There's one light, and it's God. God is light, and he calls his children to walk in the light. So think about that for a minute. I mean, there's a lot we could say here, but if you were to describe what makes light light like how would you define the characteristics of light we might say well light is very bright and inviting it draws our attention it captures our gaze it kind of pulls us in near to what it is that we see that is bright light is free from darkness i wouldn't advise it but if you were to look straight at a light if you've done so before if you're driving down the highway and some guy's left his brights on you don't see darkness all you see is light and so if you look pure into pure light there's no hint of any darkness that exists therein light is warm you think about the coldness of dark about the eerie chill that comes over a dark place but light is warm and it's it's comforting because within light is is truth. It is revealing. The things that are concealed in darkness, hidden in shadow, are exposed by light. And so there's an element of truth or knowledge or information that is gained in light. And really similar to that second point up there, is that really light is the complete opposite of darkness because beyond just the nature of light biologically, right, in terms of our creation, if you look at light symbolically, you think about what it represents. Light is good and darkness is evil. Light is pure and darkness is corrupt. Light is life and darkness often, often represents death. You think in Scripture, Psalm 23, the dark, the deep dark valley of the shadow of death. But the promise from Malachi 4, the rising of the sun and the leaping with joy of those who see it to come. Walk as children of light. What does that mean to walk as children of light? To, to imitate this particular nature of God? You're back in Ephesians 5 with me. I want you to read just a section here and just make some observations about what it means to, to walk as a child of light. We're back in Ephesians 5, picking back up again in verse 7 and catching the context. 
He says, do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed uh, by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Verse 9, I think, is an excellent summary of what it means to walk in the light, because he says there is fruit that is born by those who walk in the light. And he starts with this one, that one in the fruit of light is goodness. It's the people who do what is right, who do what is good, good deeds, good thoughts, good words. I love one author defined goodness as love in action. And now goodness, good deeds, good behavior, good words. Does that connect you with something Jesus said in that mountain message when he says that you are the light of the world? And so let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see what now? Your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Good, selfless, kind, humble deeds of service simply for the benefit of someone else. And you notice what Jesus says, it's not so that people will see me and say, he's a really good person. He's a really holy person. He's a righteous person. It is done simply out of the kindness and good intention of someone's heart. Now, love in action. Go back to Ephesians 5. Notice how John began, uh, how Paul began here in Ephesians 5 and verse 1. Be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. These two verses propel everything that Paul's going to say forward in Ephesians 5, including what he says about light. That goodness, as he says, is a fruit of light, begins with love. Loving one another, loving our neighbor, loving our brethren. You know how we know this to be true? First John chapter 2, John connects light with love. The one he says in First John 2 and verse 9, the one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. How do you know you're walking in the light as he is in the light? How do you treat those around you? How do you treat your brethren? How do you treat those you don't get along with? How do you speak to those who are so different than you and opposed to you? You know, one of the first glimpses of the gospel people will see is not necessarily what it is we believe intellectually, doctrinally, but how that doctrine informs how we behave with one another, our relationships with one another. They will see the light of Jesus through how we treat one another, or as Paul would say, how we speak to one another. Brethren, let this be as indicting as it's intended to be, because he says, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Watch your lips, he says. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Why am I going to complain? And complain about the economy. I'm going to complain about every administration that I'm ever under. I'm going to complain about the brethren. I'm going to complain about the church. I'm going to complain about this brother or this sister. And what Paul is saying is the gospel ought to make something different about the way that the people of God speak. The good news ought to change that. 
all the complaining and grumbling that's done. Think of this. Think of this. He says, the way we speak will shine the light for people to see the goodness of God and the glory of the gospel. It's a bad rap about the church today. You hear a lot about what people talk about in terms of Church of Christ, which again, I think we need to get away from. Church of Christ, the Church of Christ believes, the Church of Christ teaches, the Church of Christ thinks. I know what this church thinks. I know what this church believes. But just because the church has a certain name on the sign, I, bless I knew, we have one head and that's Jesus. And there's a lot of people who just want to bash. Church is so judgy. Church is so judgmental. The, the, the people don't care about me. They're so strict. All they want to talk about is doctrine. All they want to do is fight and fuss. I don't know, brethren. I don't know. If you want to find warts and ticks and fleas on every person, you can find every single one. And if you look here, you'll find them all. You'll find every bit of them. But if I want to see good, good deeds, kind hearts, good intentions, do you see on Sunday morning at 9 o'clock people who love Jesus and just want to be here? and encourage one another and sing praises to him and open up his word. There's far more good than there is bad, brethren. There's far more we have to rejoice in than we do to complain in. One of the ways we show that we are people of light is that there's something different in the way that we speak. We don't use our lips to taint the glory of God. And we don't use our lips to taint his people, his bride. Doesn't matter how upset I am, doesn't matter how justified I think I am. If I'm going to use my lips to tear down a brother or a sister, it's evident John says that the light of God is not in me. I cannot say I love God and hate my brethren. I can't be wrong with my brethren and right with my God. One of the fruit of light is goodness. They do good. They speak good. They live good. Associated with that is righteousness in verse 9. He says one of the fruit of light is righteousness righteousness being they live right think right behave right again one author defined it as rightness of character before god and rightness of action before men one of the clearest ways that's seen is that light is the opposite of darkness it doesn't behave the way darkness behaves and paul lays that out beautifully here in ephesians 5 we don't have to question what that means in verse 3 he talks about darkness in one's heart immorality or impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints I'm not going to desire what you want. I'm not going to be envious about the things that you have. I'm not going to be led by materialistic pursuits. I'm not going to be lustful in my mind or my eyes or my intents. Darkness in one's heart. And verse 4, he talks about darkness in one's lips. He says, there must be no filthiness or silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather the giving of thanks. Hey, it's just a joke. I'm just kidding. I'm just teasing. Well, the people of God don't tease about things that are dark. The people of God find no humor in the things that Jesus came to die for. And so there's a difference in the things that we speak in the way that we talk to one another as we just notice the point to go. Down in verse 14 and 15 and 16, there's a difference in the darkness in one's habits. Verse 15, he says, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, that's dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your hearts to the Lord. I'm not going to pursue anything, any habit, any behavior 
any substance, any path here under the sun that is possibly in any way or form going to take me from being right with my God. Do you see that right at the hub of all this in verse 10? I'm always, 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 always trying to learn what pleases the Lord. And it could be my understanding is not complete there today. And as I continue to read and to learn and to grow, I'm always going to try to more perfect what that looks like in my life. I just want to please God. And I don't want anything. I mean it. If my goal is to be with him in eternity, I don't want anything. I don't want any conflict with a brother or sister. I don't want any habit I have formed in my youth, in my teenage years. I don't want any pride over any kind of accomplishment I think I have gained or earned. I don't want anything to come in the way of the most important goal, and that is honoring and pleasing my God who gave me. Now, here's what this looks like practically in terms of our daily walk. First John 1, it's a little lengthy section, but just walk it through with me. He says, and this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we, if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you see what he's saying there? For those who want to walk in the light, there are some things they cannot do in this life. There are some thoughts I cannot entertain. They may come into my mind, but I'm not going to entertain them. There may be some friendships I'm not going to form. There may be some behavior I'm not going to engage in. There may be some entertainment I'm going to have to pass on. There are some things to be a child of God I cannot be a participant in. Does that mean we're perfect? No, because he says if we say we have no sin, we lie. But there's a difference between walking in the darkness, continuing, persisting, pursuing the things that are not of God, and someone who's trying to walk in the light, to be pleasing to God, and who stumbles along the way. One of the fruit of light is a people who desire to do what's right, the right thing. And then it's truth. The fruit of light is truth. And that's wrapped in that word enlighten, to learn or to grow, to grow in our understanding. Jesus talked about that in, in John 3, about how light exposes darkness which desires to be hidden. That, that people love the darkness, he says in verse 19, rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who comes, uh, who does wicked things, hates evil and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And that's what Paul highlights here. Twice he talks about the purpose of light in exposing that which is evil because darkness and evil go hand in hand. People who do evil don't want to do it out publicly. They hide it and they conceal it. There's a reason the majority of crimes don't happen at noon in the middle of the day. They happen at nighttime under the concealed veil of darkness where I can hide my intentions. I can deceive and put a, and put a, a slant or, so, or put a... Put a that left. I can hide what it is I'm trying to do. <laughs> but light exposes. 
Light brings truth. But here's the thing. We've talked about it already this month. It's no surprise that there's a lot of people today who don't like the truth, who don't want the truth. They suppress the truths because I want to define what I think is truth, how I feel, what I believe, what I think is right. Now, here's the thing. Before we start saying, it's right. There's a lot of people who don't like truth. Paul says there's a lot of God's people who struggle with truth because he warned that young preacher to preach the word, to be ready in season and out of season, to reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. What else? They will turn their ears away from the truth and will turn aside the myths. Do you remember the thing that the statement that's made in court scenes? I want the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. But for some of God's people, it's I want the truth, some of the truth, like the truth that I like. So help me God. Like, I like the truth that sounds really good and feels good. I want to hear a lot about grace. Love grace. I have a whole class on grace. I want it all the time. And I want love. But that truth about doctrine or authority or the church, what churches to be and how they're be, to, to, to act and their purpose and, and, and holy living and righteous living. I want the truth. I just don't want all the truth. I don't want you to talk about that aspect of the truth. But Jesus says the word is truth. Your, your word, every single word is truth. Which is why one of the strongest motifs in scripture of the word of God is that it is a light. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a light, a lamp into my feet, a light into my path. Or Psalm 119, verse 130, the unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. It is showing the way to a lost and confused world. And so of those who are trying to pursue God and walk with God, the response to truth is one, what is said in the book of Zechariah, chapter 8 and verse 19, to love truth. The people of God love truth. We love it. Even the painful truth, even the truth that I don't really necessarily agree with, I love truth because it's right and because it's of God. And so we love truth Speak truth. Speak the truth in love, even if it offends, even if it's not popular, even if it puts us at odds with a lot of people. We speak what is true. We never speak a lie, even to be kind, even to give concession, even to think it might lead to an open door. There's no, there's no Robin Hood mentality here that the ends justify the means. We are a people of truth, and so we speak the truth in love, which means we are people who live that truth, who obey it, that before truth is ever spoken, it is seen through the way we live. All right. You've done wonderful. Stay with me. Train of thought, remember? What does this have to do with our identity? What does any of this have to do with our identity? In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul defines those in contrast to the children of light. In verse 6, when he calls them the sons of disobedience of people who are identified and their active outright rebellion against God, his way, and his plan. And those who choose to be sons of disobedience. In verse 9, it defines them as unfruitful, the unfruitful deeds of righteousness, that anything we might describe as good, or right, or wholesome, or pure, 
There, there's no fruit in that life. Empty and it's void. But he says, you are children of light. And in verse 9, he says, you are light, which bears that fruit. That, that good, wholesome, desirable fruit of the things that are right and noble and pure in this life. Here's what this means. Every one of us, every single one, and by us, I mean every person that will ever enter into this existence was made in the, in the image of God. They were made on purpose and for purpose in his image. Paul says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The mark was missed. That was God's plan. I want you to be like me. I, I, I want you to resemble me in this life. And yet when we chose our own path, we fell short from that. But we who have heard that gospel message, we, we who have seen that saving work of Jesus have been called out of darkness back into his marvelous light and are given the purpose to declare his excellencies. Here's what this means, brethren. Yes, we are children of light. It's who we are. It's our identity. Ephesians 5 and verse 14 is the reason why. All around us are people who are asleep. All around us are people who have no idea why they are here, who have no idea that they were made by a, a benevolent creator who made them in his precious image, and they're walking through life asleep. And the design of God's plan through you and I is to wake them up, that through the way we live, they see something that this is the way it's supposed to be. This is a life that God had intended for you and for me. And every facet of it, and the way that we work in our marriages, in our homes, through us, they ought to be able to see this is what God's plan was. And so he doesn't say that you are children and children alone. He doesn't equate it, children of something silent or unseen, children of amoeba. Light is something distinguishable. Light is something of an influence, designed and intended to be noticed, to be attractive, to show, to be informative. Our God-given mission as children of light is to wake up a dark world, a sleeping world. Which means for light to be effective, it must shine where it's dark. For light to be effective, it must shine where it's dark. And you've seen that before. If you've ever been in a cave, if you've ever come out of a movie theater, and the first thing you do, you open up those lights to the sun, well, you know it's the light right away. You've not seen it for a while. That's what light is intended to do. Here's the thing. Jesus says, no one lights a lamp and hides it under a basket. Why did he say that? Because we do so. We can do so. When we, as God's people, choose to cover the light in the guise of the world, to cover our godly living under the example of the world, we are masking our light and we are resisting God's purpose for us. And so, when I am a child of God, but I speak the language of the world, when I am a child of God, but I dress like a person of the world, when I am a child of God, but I behave and I act and I smoke and I drink like a person of the world, what am I doing? I'm taking this beautiful light and I'm covering it under a basket. We're made for more than this. 
God's intention is to wake up the sleepers from their, from their sleep, which means they need to see godly people living godly lives. They need to hear godly people speaking different than the way the world speaks. They need to see marriages that thrive and homes and homes that succeed. Children who are respectful of their parents and children who are respectful of their seniors. They need to see people of God who are moved by grace and love. And those are not merely principles. They are lived out in our fruits of our labors, that we are service-oriented people. We serve, and it's not to put it on Facebook and to show people how amazing we are. We serve because it's the right thing to do. And so for light to be seen, for light to be successful, it must shine where it's dark. Also, for light to be effective, we must shine together because we are stronger when we are together. Without a doubt, we are successful when we stand alone, and one light, even in a dark place, can make a great difference. And Jesus defined it as such. In Matthew 5, 16, he talks about each one of us individually. You are a light of the world, therefore let your light shine. That's true. But there's also power in shining together. I love the illustration that our brother Jim Penn did a couple months ago. Might have been several months ago now at this point. I don't remember. It's been a long year. He had his phone out. Do you remember? And he turned on the light. And he had all lights off but just his phone. And every one of us could see it. But then he had all of us pull our phones out and turn our lights on. And he kind of forgot that the lights were turned off because all of us were shining our light. Did you notice when Paul talked about in Philippians 2, the language that we use, he defines it as a collective. Whom you shine as lights, multiple lights in this world. The greater difference that is done when multiple people of God do what is right I learned this week about a phenomenon that exists in the Indian Ocean, that there is this, this crater ship that was going, and oddly enough, this captain of this vessel saw lights beginning to glow underneath the ocean, and he had no idea what was causing it because there was no stars or moon shining that night. What marine biologists discovered is that there is this bioluminescent uh, bacteria that exists under the sea. Individually, you can't see a single one. They're unnoticeable to the human eye, but when they gather together, their light can radiate 600 miles into orbit. We are stronger when we are together. And think of that. Think of the difference it makes collectively to our encouragement, our stirring up of one another to love and good works when we see lights that are done, but think of what the world sees. Can I share you one? My friend Taz Hazika Kaman, who lives in, uh, in Africa, he is 31 years old. He has a wife and two, two daughters. Two daughters, one who is age three and one who is 11 years older. To Taz, Tazvitya Kamba. I had to write it down. I call him Taz is his name. He's preaching in Africa. He and I have connected on Facebook. One of the few things that actually is good about Facebook. Didn't know him out of anywhere. He just reached out to me. 31 years old, he's preaching his heart out in Africa. He's preached the gospel and 25 souls have come and been obeyed in the last month. Is that to Taz's glory? No. It's to the glory of God who is working in Africa and in Asia and in Russia and in every facet of this world. On our own, there's a light and we're making a difference. Collectively, look what is seen when the people of God simply do what we can do we're showing the world something that maybe they haven't seen before. One Christian's one thing, 
But to see collective of God's people continuing to act makes such a tremendous difference. And then I would say for light, for light to be effective, we must have the light within us. It's not just do good deeds. That's not what light is about. It is about being like Jesus. That's what it is about. The psalmist says, for with you is a fountain of life and your light do we see light. That's what it is. It is a light of God changing and affecting me from the inside out. So this is not just do better. Just do good deeds. Just speak good words. What this is, is live like Jesus. Let every bit of who Jesus is influence and shape who you are, and the world will see this. So, brethren, we've been asking this whole month about identity, and we've made the statement, when you find your identity in God, you will stop trying to find it anywhere else. God's plan from the very beginning is that you and I would be made into his son's image day by day. Through the work of the word and the effective work of prayer and the effective work of the Holy Spirit, we are shaped and molded into the image of Christ. That's what this is about. Men and women who look like Christ. Men and women who serve like Christ. You are made in the image of God. Our beloved D said it this way. I think it's a good way to end before we transition to our classes. Because I am, I can so I must. I am a man or a woman made in the image of God. I am a child of God. I am the light of the world. And since we are, it can be done. We can live as lights, lights that make a difference. And since it can be done, good brethren, it must. We must hear this calling and rise to the responsibility. This is who it is we are made to be. Thank you so much for listening so well. We're going to have a prayer, a verse of a song, and be dismissed to our classes. Let's stand, please, for that prayer. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com, questions at thebibleway.com. We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can, but thank you for connecting with us.